Chapter 6 Expulsion and Reentrance. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis 3 24. We may safely conclude that this solemn act on the part of God is not separate from, or in contradiction of, the previous promises of grace, but is in fulfillment of it embodying an illustration or exposition of it. As generally interpreted, it stands alone and speaks wholly of judgment, not of grace. But read correctly, it anticipates the Apostle's statement, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 Or, if there is nothing about it that is apparently stern or terrible, it amounts to nothing more than that in the epistle to the Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. Hebrews 9, 8. 1. The Expulsion The holy dwelling that was so specially made for man can no longer be his abode. He has sinned it away. He is not to be cast out of earth or even out of Eden but he must leave paradise so that God may testify to the evil of sin. But the simple fact of his being left on earth, indeed in Eden, is a proclamation of God's forgiving love. First, the expeller. It is God himself, he who made paradise for man and set man in it. He expelled him. The expulsion and the introduction are the acts of the same being. Second, the expelled. It is man, no, the man the same man as mentioned before, the man so newly made, so greatly loved, made in God's image to represent him and to serve him. And third, the expelling. The word is a strong one, driving out by force, as the nations of Canaan. In verse 23 we read that the Lord God sent him out, but man would not go. So he is compelled to force him out. It is forcible ejection from a forfeited abode. Paradise was the place of God's dwelling with man, and now either God or man must leave. If God leaves, man is hopeless. If man leaves, his place is still kept open for him by God. Even in the expulsion, God shows his grace, his long suffering, his unwillingness to leave man or man's earth. He still desires to have a habitation here. This is my resting place, he says. Psalm 132 14. 2. The Guard. This was a sword, or rather, the sword, the sword of fire, or the flame of the sword. It was the sword that turned around every which way, perhaps encircling paradise, with a flaming belt. It was the sword spoken of in Joshua 5 13, 1 Chronicles 21 16, 27, Psalm 45 3, Isaiah 34 5 6. Ezekiel 21, 5, and Zechariah 13, 7. It was placed not simply to bar entrance, but also to inflict death on everyone who would attempt to enter. It was the veil, but it was more. It told that the holiest was not opened and that until God withdrew the barrier, it was death for the sinner to enter. What more efficient, more terrible fence could there be? Sword and fire in one. God's sword and fire, 
revolving in life and power, making access an impossibility, living fire or fiery life. It is the Shekinah in the form of a sword, as elsewhere in the form of a pillar, according to the purpose to be served. O man, can you re-enter paradise without God's permission? Can you open the barred gate? Can you remove or quench the sword of fire? You cannot. There is one that shuts and no man opens, that kindles and no man quenches. Only he can open who closed the gate. Only he can quench the fire who kindled it. It is he who said, Awake, O sword, against the man my associate. Zechariah 13, 7. That sword is quenched in the blood of Jehovah's person. The gate is open, the access unchallenged and free. But the special objective of this fence was to protect the way to the tree of life, which was in the midst of the garden. The eating of this tree was to preserve man's immortality. As the common fruit of the garden was to uphold him against the wear and tear of each day, so the tree of life had in it special virtue. It is no more inconsistent with man's immortality to say this than to say that he needed other food to maintain his life. It was in the midst, Genesis 2 9, as the most conspicuous and most accessible place, marking its importance and preeminence among the trees of the garden. The preservation of man's immortality was now no longer a desirable thing. Besides, it was forfeited. He was taught that there was immortality in store for him, but not through that tree. It must be reached through death. It must be the immortality of resurrection. His being banned from the tree of life was the preliminary or preparatory step to his being taught this wonderful lesson that it would evolve in time. Man will one day approach the tree of life, Revelation 2, 7, but not now. Death lies between him and life. Death is the gate of life. Resurrection is our hope. And three, the new occupants. The cherubim now are set where man was. These are doubtless symbolic things, such as those of gold in the tabernacle, or, if having the semblance of life, they are like those spoken of in Ezekiel and Revelation, which are still symbolic, not real beasts or living creatures. Their appearance, earthly animals, their position on the mercy seat, their being one with the mercy seat, their being sprinkled with blood, and the song they sing in Revelation, all tell us that they are redemption symbols. Symbols proclaiming that man and man's earth with all its creatures is redeemed and glorified. Man is reintroduced into paradise, higher than that from which he was driven out, the paradise of God. These cherubim in the earthly paradise are said to dwell there, not set, but made to tabernacle there. They are placed there as in a dwelling to indicate man's future restoration to the abode he had lost. The sight of them is good news to Adam. He and his seed are to be restored after all. They are not always to be banished, not always to worship at the gate or stand upon the threshold. They are to re-enter and partake of the better tree in the better paradise. The way is now opened, the sword withdrawn, the invitation unrestricted and unconditional, a new and living way. Let us draw near. Outside is condemnation, inside is pardon. 
Outside is death, inside is life and immortality. There's no barrier now, no veil, no hindrance, no distance, and no uncertainty. The blood is shed and sprinkled. Through death, life has come. The tomb becomes the gate of life. Why do we stand outside as if the sword of fire was still there, or as if the veil was not torn in two? Why hesitate, tremble, or doubt when everything is plain and when God Himself is calling us to enter in? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Hebrews 4:16, King James Version. Let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of faith. Hebrews 10:22, King James Version. Let us not linger on the threshold, but go in at once. The blood that has been shed on earth and accepted in heaven is that which emboldens us to approach with confidence, not reckoning it possible that we can be sent away empty.